In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Happy New Year. Advent begins the new year in the church. And Advent is a time of preparation. Our Old Testament readings are going to talk about how the world was waiting for the Messiah over the next four weeks. What they knew about him who was coming. Our New Testament readings are going to put us in mind of what we've been hearing in the Gospels the last few weeks. The end of all things and Jesus' return. Now let me start off this new year by asking a really simple question. What are you looking forward to most in 2024? Is there some event, is there something coming up that you're really looking forward to? Now let me follow that up with another question. What are you least looking forward to in 2024? I'm sure some things come to mind, but hold on to those thoughts for just a few minutes. Oh, that you would tear the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As we begin reading the prophet Isaiah, we need to notice something important. We have here Isaiah and God's people praying. They started that back in chapter 63, verse 7. They say this, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord's, for the deeds in which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, that many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and his many kindnesses. So Isaiah here is not giving a prophecy, he's praying. And what they wanted in that new year was for the Lord to come back and save them, to scare their enemies like he had in the past, for God to come and surprise them with his help. And oh yeah, how about you let the mountains quake at your presence? That gets them good every time. He prays, from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. Isaiah's telling God that no other God has been seen except for you, Lord, and you're faithful to come and help those who rely on you. Now you might be asking yourself, since we're dropping in the middle of Isaiah's prayer, God is faithful. Why is he not helping his people here? Right? You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways. But Isaiah here also confesses you are angry and we sin. You hid yourself, we transgressed. Now this is a lament. Let me quote a professor here. She said this, Laments are not formal arguments. They can employ faulty reasoning and are sometimes one-sided. The lamenters in Isaiah 64 never make the clear and contrite admission of any culpability that you would expect to be offered in order to receive the divine consideration they request. Laments are poetic, poetic protests against pain and appeals for intervention. What they're saying here is this, God, we sinned because you didn't answer us. If you read all of Isaiah, you see that God is upset about things like his people mistreating the poor. And God told them to change, and at first they didn't. So when he quits answering them, they say, listen, it's your fault you did what you said you were going to do. God, it's all your fault. The reasoning sounds like that of my children. Hey, well, the reason I was watching TV, the reason I was on the phone, even when you told me not to, well, it's because you left the room. What did you expect me to do? That's Isaiah and God's people's reasoning here. Now, there's no indication that Isaiah ever consciously 
did these things. Isaiah, at the beginning of his book, has his mouth cleansed before God's throne back when his ministry started. But notice here, he says, God, we let these things happen. All of us. We've all become like one who is unclean, Isaiah writes, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Isaiah here is talking before God about his whole country and taking responsibility, right? We've all become like. Not that we all did. Isaiah and those praying remember what God had said back in chapter 45. Back in chapter 45, God tells Isaiah and his people this. What are those who quarrel with their maker? Those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds are on the ground. Does the clay look at the potter and say, what are you making? Does the work of your hands say, the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, why have you begotten me? God's people have been trying to say, listen, all this stuff is not our fault. God, why are you doing this to us? But when they call back out to God, they say this, we are all clay before you, Lord. Mold us into who you want us to be. You are our father. Take us back. They call out in hope that the Lord will one day not be angry with them, that he'll love them and forgive them. Our psalm starts, Hear, O shepherd of Israel, leading Joseph like a flock. Shine forth, you that are enthroned upon the cherubim. Asaph here is also calling out to the Lord, calling on the great shepherd to come and take care of them. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry despite the prayers of your people? Doesn't that sound familiar? And Asaph is writing a couple of hundred years before Isaiah. But similarly, here's a time when they don't think God is listening, that he's upset with them and his people. And all Asaph, the great poet and musician, can do is call out time and time again, Restore us, O God of hosts. Show us the light of your countenance and we'll be saved. Asaph here is asking God to turn and look at his people. Because when God's face is turned towards us, when we truly have his attention, we know that he is strong to save. And he ends the psalm with a prayer. Let the hand, your hand be upon the man of your right hand, the son of man you've made strong for yourself, so we will never turn away from you. Give us life that will call upon your name. God has already promised that the Messiah will come, and he'll bruise the serpent's head. God has already promised that our hearts of stone will be made hearts of flesh. And Asaph is praying that he will come. And when he does come, that God's people will no longer be tempted to look away from him. But for now, they wait and they pray. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. Paul starts off writing, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our reading this evening starts off with grace. Paul here starts by telling the Corinthians that the grace of God has given them speech and knowledge of every kind that they're going to need, and that Jesus has strengthened them as they wait for his return. So they have every spiritual gift they need, and they're one day going to stand blameless when Jesus returns. Why? Because God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our gospel begins. But in those days, all that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not be given its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven 
and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Pretty scary stuff, right? Last week we heard Matthew's remembrance of Jesus talking about the end. Here we're getting Peter's. John the Elder, the Revelator, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the Epistle, the Revelation, that John, John had told his disciples that when Mark wrote his Gospel, he was working from Peter's notes, from sermons and things he'd heard Peter say, and wrote his Gospel around the time of Peter's death. But we're in the same place we were last week in our story. We're in Holy Week. Jesus has been in the temple. He's preached, he's discussed, and he's left. And after he left the temple, he starts talking about what the end will be like. Matthew gives us the story of ten bridesmaids, a man who left his servants in charge with different amounts of talents. And here Mark writes, Then they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he'll send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. We have hope that the God who Paul says is faithful, that the one who Asaph keeps calling out to, restore us, O God of hosts, show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. The God that Isaiah is praying to, that God sent Jesus. And now he's promised that he'll return to gather us up wherever we are, whether we're on earth, or under the earth, or on the sea, he even says, in the heavens. And Jesus gives us another example. He says, you know that when summer is coming, you know that by looking at how a fig tree grows. When it starts putting forth branches and, and new leaves, you know summer's getting closer. And when you know that season is coming, you know that the king is waiting to come in. Jesus promises them, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Why? Because God is faithful. Then Jesus says this, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus says, even I don't know when the end will take place. And there is where the tension is, right? The conundrum. Jesus also says in this passage that some of these things will take place within the lifetime of those listening to him. And they do. Within a few days of Jesus saying these things about the coming of the kingdom of God, He'll be arrested, he'll be tried, and he'll be crucified. And a couple of days after that, we'll have Easter morning. And then his ascension of the day of Pentecost, all within a few months of Jesus saying these things. Jesus says this, It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with work, and commands his doorkeeper to be on the watch. Now we're back in one of those analogies of someone going on a journey. He says, you all do your work and I'll be back. But they don't know when he's coming back. And Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. We lit our first candle this week with hope in our hearts. And when we look at 2024, there are things I'm looking forward to. But I can also see some things looking ahead that I'm not looking forward to some challenging times in our world and in our country. But I have a hope that overcomes those challenges. Like Isaiah, we know that we're all clay before the Lord. And we have the hope that he's going to continue to mold us in who we, to who we need to be. Like Asaph, in hope, we can call out to the Lord, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. 
Show us the light of your countenance and we'll be saved. We have the hope of what Paul told the Corinthians so long ago. That God, through his Son, has left us with everything we need to grow and to mature as we wait. Then we have the hope of what Jesus said. What Paul is waiting on. That he'll return. And what should we be doing as we wait for him to return? Jesus says simply, keep awake. To keep working and loving others. Doing those things we're called to do. And on those days when you're watching or reading the news, when you're doom-scrolling Facebook, when you want to blast your brother or sister for their ludicrous viewpoint on something, like liking a different candidate than you do, when fear or anger seeps into your heart, remember, we're not called to bury our talent. We're to keep awake and stay busy living others as we live in hope that Christ will return. Amen.